The 56 men had come together from all 13 colonies, a collection of the most gifted, virtuous, and wealthiest men upon the continent. They had come together with a strong spirit of unity. Moving with secrecy and with great deliberation, they knew that they were planning they knew that what they were planning would ultimately lead to treason in the eyes of the British, yet they were not afraid. The founding fathers were not ashamed to admit that they were openly relying on God. At the first meeting of Congress, it was suggested that they open with prayer. The motion was opposed at first, not because the delegates didn't believe in God, but because they were from such varied religious backgrounds. They were Episcopalians, Quakers, Anabaptists, Presbyterians, and Congregate congregationalists, that some thought they could not join in the same act of worship. Then Samuel Adams stood to address the assembly. I am no bigot. I could hear a prayer from a gentleman of piety and virtue, who was at the same time a friend to his country. I am a stranger in Philadelphia, but I have heard that Mr. Jacob Duchesne, an Episcopal clergyman, well fits that description. I move that Mr. Duchesne be asked to read prayers to the Congress tomorrow morning. The motion was seconded and passed. If Mr. Duchesne was good enough for Samuel Adams, he would do. Mr. Duchesne was promptly contacted and eagerly accepted the invitation. He appeared the next morning in his pastoral robes and vestments. Using the collect, a book of prayers and daily scripture readings, he read several formal prayers before coming to the scripture for the day, Psalm 35. That psalm seemed peculiarly appropriate, for an express message had just arrived from Israel Putnam of Connecticut. With a dreadful rumor, Boston, the colony's most patriotic city, had been bombarded by the British and inhabitants murdered by British soldiers. The delegates could only imagine the scenes of distress, terror, and confusion that would result from this horrible catastrophe. John Adams wrote, The effect of the news we have, both, we have both upon the Congress and the inhabitants of this city was very great, great indeed. Every gentleman seems to consider the, the bombardment of Boston as the bombardment of the capital of his own province. The bells of Philadelphia were muffled and tolled in token of this great sorrow. It was in this setting that Mr. Duchesne read the scripture of the day, which was a fervent prayer of David. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Psalm 35, 1-3. As Mr. Duchesne reverently read the word of God, the delegates felt deep feelings of grief. Yes, but also the amazing sense that the God who sees all and knows the future has seen ahead to this day of destiny and wanted to comfort them. As Mr. Duchesne read, it seemed as if God himself were speaking to the men assembled there, saying to each patriot present, I am your deliverance, your salvation. They felt God was assuring his chosen leaders that he would fight their battles for them. As Mr. Duchesne continued to read, the Holy Spirit anointed his words, the powerful presence of God increasing with every verse. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his, in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, 
who is like unto thee, which deliverest the poor from him that is too strong for him. Psalm 35, 4 through 6, 9 through 10a. Renewed hope and strength came to the delicates. They had been struggling with the thought that to keep their precious freedoms they, a poor colony with no army and no navy, would be forced to take on Great Britain, the mightiest empire in the world. They sensed God's words of encouragement through this sweet psalm, and it brought renewed hope to, this, to their spirits. John Adams later wrote, I never saw a greater effect upon an audience. It seemed as if heaven had ordained that psalm to be read in, on that morning. But that was not the end of their prayer meeting. Mr. Duchesne surprised everyone by presenting everyone present by striking out an extemporaneous prayer, which was most unusual for that era. His prayer was so pertinent, affectionate, and devout that every heart was moved. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the counsel of this honorable assembly. Enable them to settle all things on the best and surest foundations, that the scene of blood may be speedily closed, that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored, and that truth, justice, religion, and piety prevail and flourish among the people. Preserve the health of their bodies and the vigor of their minds. Shower down on them and the millions they here represent such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world, and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son and Savior. Amen. John Adams said, It filled the bosom of every man present. I must confess I never heard a better prayer. Such fervor, such ardor, such earnestness and pathos, in language so elegant and sublime, for America, for the Congress, for the province of Massachusetts Bay, and especially the town of Boston. It has had an excellent effect upon everybody here. God met the members of Congress that day and put his seal on their dreams of freedom for this nation. By the simple act of opening their day with prayer, they had acknowledged their need for his guidance and his protection, and God flooded in on them with great comfort, destiny, and purpose. Artist Harrison Tompkins Madison depicted the events of that day in a life-size painting titled The First Prayer in Congress. A stained glass representation of the painting hangs in the Liberty Window of Christ Church, Philadelphia. Half of the delegates have fallen to their knees and several are weeping. Silas Dean verifies that this time of prayer and scriptures reading in Congress was so powerful that even Quakers shed tears. When the extended prayer was over, something else amazing happened. Another message came from Boston, this time with the news that the first report had been a mistake. They there had been no bombardment and murdering in Boston. Imagine the joy the delegates felt. Their praises filled the hall again. Great is the Lord. John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, describing what had happened. Then he exhorted her, I must beg you to read that psalm. Read this letter and the 35th psalm to your friends. Read it to your father. By his word, the Lord brought fresh confidence to the delegates at the First Continental Congress, and they sensed that they were on the right path. In the dark hours that were ahead in their fight for freedom, they would need that assurance. Those presents would never forget the day. Thank you, Savannah. I uh, know that was a little bit long, but um, I think it's awesome to go back 
and see where everything started. And, you know, we, we can't go back and make everything like it was back then. And, you know, as we look at our, our nation, the different problems, the immorality, uh, the wars, everything that we're involved with, just the, our, our, even our leaders not being able to make decisions that are, that are going to seemingly like change anything that's going on, it, it sure shows that we as a nation are in desperate need of God. And I don't know about you, but sometimes watching the news and just hearing the political things, I get so frustrated. But when we go back to this first Continental Congress, when God had moved upon a group of men to establish a nation that would be under God, that even in their beliefs, they, were, they came to the place where they needed God and they started to pray. We've heard so many stories over the years of how this little nation rebelled against a huge nation of, of England. Great Britain, and how uh, a few people, uh, an army that shouldn't have been able to win anything, beat them. But it was because it was in God's heart that this nation would be established. And so I I feel like today we should just stand, and I just want to pray, because really, just like how this nation started, our prayers are powerful for this next generation, that they could live in a country that is free, and they can know what independence is. But it's only the only true freedom and independence is when people return to God. And as we pray as believers, we are praying that God will move on our governments. It seems like right now, not a whole lot of our senators, congressmen, and maybe even our president are really serious about putting Christ first. There's intimidation. There's the spiritual warfare going on that the enemy is trying to have his agenda. So there's a lot of compromise and men won't stand up for what they need to stand up for. But as we pray today, we are like those men who started this nation. We can take back our nation by beginning and continuing to intercede every day that God would deliver us from evil. God would forgive us of our sins as a nation and grant us repentance so that the seeds that we have sown uh, as a nation and um, we won't reap that kind of harvest. So will you pray with me today and begin to pray, even add this to the top of the list in your prayers. Jesus, you said to us to pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. And God, as a nation, we have gone into great evil. And in this season, Lord, of the 4th of July, as we celebrate, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins. And we ask that you would remember collectively every prayer that's gone up for the, in the last few years for our nation and for our repentance. And we tell you, we are sinners, God, but we ask for your mercy and your grace. We ask that you would move, Lord, in the places that we have compromised and that you would convict people of sin and you would change our nation, that you would change our fate, that we would come back humbly, Lord, and be, Lord, a nation that is under God. We pray for your spirit of repentance to move on our leaders, Lord, even as you moved on our first leaders. We ask you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would either change them, Lord, or remove them. God, we're asking for a nation again to return to righteousness. We pray against darkness. We pray against the principalities and powers that you said are really the problem in this world that move through men's lusts and their desires and their greed, Lord, to have his way through their lives and to destroy our nation. We pray against immorality, Lord, that sweeps in and and invites a, a youth, Lord, to give up, Lord, their sexuality and to surrender, Lord, the most passionate thing you've given them. We ask that you would restore families and marriages, God, and the hope, Lord, of people who have experienced that brokenness divorces, Lord, and a rejection and not having moms and dads. We ask that you would bring a healing. Help us as a body, Lord, to intercede and pray and then to do those things that will see a restoration of this nation. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. The definition of independence is freedom from dependence on or controlled by another person, organization, or state. 
they did that. They were coming against Great Britain. They didn't want to be controlled and have the taxes, but they wanted the religious freedom. They wanted the ability to worship God. Us in America, we look at independence really different than what it really means. We think it means a right for us to totally do what we want to do when we want to do it. And as Christians, it has poisoned our relationship with God. It has affected our Christianity. Here's a definition of rebellion. An attempt to overthrow government, an organized attempt to overflow a government or other authority by the use of violence, a defiance of authority, an opposition to or a defiance of authority, accepted moral codes or social conventions. That rebellion is what is at the heart of everything. And that place where we think we're independent is where rebellion looms in the Christian's heart, where we fail to submit to the authority of God and those God has placed in authority. And I I feel afraid in this day and age to stand as a representation of God's authority as a pastor in a church, especially when it's very uncomfortable nowadays uh, really for, for anybody to stand up for righteousness. More and more persecution is coming against those who will stand up for Christ. And that's the way, you know, Jesus said it was going to be in the last day. But I stand in this place because God has called me. And I ask you to submit your lives to God. To let the Holy Spirit really examine you. And that you would come under this place where you are going to come under the authority of God. That you're going to let God so work on you and transform your life. That however long you sit, however long that you stay under this authority, God will change you and raise you up. And at that day when he wants to release you, you will be released to go in places of this world and to represent authority, to stand under authority, and then be a place where you can possibly be in authority. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's trying to destroy the church. He's using our misunderstanding of independence. We are set free from the God of this world, Satan, to put ourselves under the submission obedience of Jesus Christ and God our Lord and having the Holy Spirit being in our lives. And if we do anything less than follow God's word and submit to him, we are really walking in a place of rebellion. And I, I really believe God wants to restore our nation. I don't believe it's too late. But it's too late if we feel like we can do nothing about anything and we don't look at ourselves and we don't present ourselves to God and do the things he wants us to do. And the simplest thing he's asking us to do is to pray. We saw by that, that reading of that story that the Continental Congress in the very beginning began to change something because they, they had it in their heart. They knew that they needed God. And oh my, that changed everything. And when God was brought in at the beginning of something, everything unfolded after that. Wherever you are at your life, if you put God in that place, young people, if you put God in place of even the things in your heart's desire, the things you want to do, if you put him first and you wait for the the progression and the seasons that he wants to take you through, you will not be disappointed. Your very goals and dreams will be fulfilled. And if they're not the best, if God sees something in your heart that's hidden and locked up, if you wait on him, that true desire, that true goal that God has put in your heart will become evident and you will begin to soar and you'll begin to excel in that path that God has for you. I want to give you a little appetizer today before I go into my message. And these are two verses I felt like I got this morning. You know, we've been talking about uh, walking through John and uh, uh, how we're being born again and our spirit is now made alive and connected with God. And as we feed our spirit, there comes a stronger and stronger sensitivity to God and to knowing when we're walking with him and, and just pleasing him. And there comes a great peace in our lives when we're walking with the Lord and walking in that fellowship. I was thinking about how I grew up, and there was times, you know, after we were done cleaning churches on Saturday, and my, uh, probably from 
junior high on, it, it was more intense. But I can remember getting to this place on uh, Saturday afternoon. All the church work had was done. We we're done cleaning. Mom was cooking dinner. And I was in my room. I had, I had my desk. And I always, my, my uh, recreation was to build a model. But I would like to turn on some music. So I remember having this old AM radio. So you young people don't even know what I'm talking about. Because everything is dialed in for you. You've got the satellite radio. You've got all those things that dial right in for you. But I had the old radio I got from my dad because he got a newer one. And you had to fine-tune it. And every so often, for whatever reason, it, it would be off. You'd have, it'd be just fuzz and static. And I'd have to fine-tune that. When I got that, I was listening to the music. And I was just putting my kit together. We must fine-tune our heart. We must be able to receive the messages the Holy Spirit wants to say to us, especially in this day and age. We don't know when calamity or something's going to happen, but if we're walking in our relationship with God, in the love of Jesus, there's going to be an incredible peace that shelters us and protects us and helps us as we make the decision. And as we even, the enemy would even try to intimidate us in stepping out and doing things because of what we see going on around us. But if we let Jesus Christ take, take that preeminence and pour into our spirit, then comes a, a great confidence, a, a great ability to just uh, not be afraid to go anywhere. Little technical scratching, sorry about that. Probably me. There we go. Thank you. There we go. Okay, here's a couple of verses. They're the appetizers today. Their first one is Proverbs 20 27. The spirit of man, that factor in the human personality which proceeds immediately from God, is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost thoughts. So when you think about it, our spirit, created by God, given to us, that gives life to our body, is the key place where he speaks through. And that's why it's so important to be tuned in to God. That's why it's so important to take time with the Lord. And I know it's so easy to get excited. You know, I know how many get excited and compulsive. You want to get out to your day, and it's kind of hard for you to rein yourself in. If we can all learn to put God first, take some time with Him, take some time with Him, quiet our soul, quiet those distractions, we're able to tune in to that signal because that spirit, God is spirit, and He's communing to our spirit. And accepting Jesus Christ makes our spirit alive. So that connection, there's a, there's a solid connection through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.11, this is the Amplified Bible I'm reading out of, kind of mirrors the scripture we just read. What person perceives, knows, and understands what passes through a man's thought except the man's own spirit within him? It's like the people around you, even your husband or wife, those family members. You don't even know. You can't even tell what's going on. But God knows, and that man's spirit knows their true intents. Just so, no one discerns comes to know, comprehend the thoughts of God except by the Spirit of God. So again, that connection, the vital connection we have with God through Jesus Christ is going to really sharpen us to be able to be who we are and to hear and receive those things that God has for us. Those are my nuggets. And here's one more. Counsel in the heart, this is Proverbs 24, counsel in the heart of man is like water in a deep well, but a man of understanding draws it out. Again, that understanding that I really need more input in my life than what, I, what I'm getting on my own. 
And it's great to research out things and investigate and ask people. But the wisdom that you get to make decisions when you've connected with God is the almost most important. You know, we talked last week about the woman at the well and how she drew on that water. And that deep well is that presence of God we've been talking about. Walking with God, walking and drawing on the Holy Spirit's power to be able to receive and hear and, and really get the right counsel in our lives. Okay, appetizers, 4th of July, you're done. I want us to go back and just kind of finish up um, John 4. And remember last week we talked about the woman of Samaria, that woman who had the five husbands and how Jesus addressed her really in her immoral lifestyle, but he did it in such a way that he wasn't condemning her, he wasn't pointing his finger at her, but he was just kind of saying, I want to meet that deep need, that deep thirst you have in your life. And so he's talking about, I have water to, to meet that deep need that, you know, you don't have. And he kind of drew her in. And then remember, after she left, she went and told the people in Samaria. And everyone was just, they were just in awe of Jesus. And they came and started relating to Jesus. And they said, well, now we believe uh, this Jesus you told us about, but not because of you. We believe because we have received who he is. Somehow there was that spiritual connection with them and what she had experienced with Jesus that they bought into their own faith and their own believing that Jesus was the son of God. So we're starting to see in John 4, 43 through 45. And this is about Galilee. They receive Jesus. They're open to him. After two days, Jesus departed from Samaria and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Nazareth, I guess, was pretty close. And, you know, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. People knew him as a carpenter. But it was understood that because Jesus was known in his hometown, Again, they looked at him, oh, you're just a carpenter. Oh, we saw you growing up. And they didn't identify him as the son of God like other people. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galatians received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. That's as referenced in John 2, 23. We had read it earlier that Jesus when he had done that miracle of turning water into wine in Galilee, his fame began to arise. And so there was this, probably this percolation time where they're thinking of, they're chatting over that, uh, that miracle. And you know how when stories are passed around and how they get more and more uh, pumped up and people get excited? Well, that's what's been happening. It's almost like um, the timing of God and Jesus now going back into Galilee was very profound because now he was going to go and even more people were going to believe because they were open to him. They, they believed that he was a God who, who was in the flesh. They believed he would do things and he could do miracles. So they're, they're there. They're excited. So this is John 4, 46-47, the healing of the nobleman's son. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, just for your information... This nobleman, he has heard about Jesus, but Capernaum is 15 miles away from Galilee. So I'm sure they didn't have any shuttles or, uh, you know, no uh, airplanes or anything like this. So there was something incredible that this guy had bought into the faith of Jesus. And he had made that trek. I don't know if it, you know, if he's riding a, a donkey or something or a camel, you know, maybe he could have made it in a, a day. Uh, but if he was walking, maybe it took him a couple days. But, but he's, he's heading there. He's in desperate. He's in a desperate place. His son needs healing. 
When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and he begged Jesus to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. This story is not uh, given in any other Gospels. And um, it's interesting that this first miracle would draw this royal leader out. He's not just a, any, per, any person. He's a nobleman. And he's a man who is respected. He's a person that, hey, he, I'm sure he called his servants or he called someone you know, uh, in the government. They, boom, they were on it. They jumped on it. And here he is having to humble himself, and he's going after Jesus. It's not like he sent someone to go get Jesus for him. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Again, he's addressing the man and this crowd. And this again, this man, think of it, this man is, is begging Jesus to come and follow him. And remember we said in the beginning that every time in John where you see the word believe, it means, uh, the key word means to trust, adhere to, rely on, and it occurs over 98 times just in John alone. So it, it kind of amplifies that word that just to believe means a whole lot more. It means like we're leaning our whole personality, all our emotions, all our feelings, all our thoughts are focused on Jesus and nothing can distract us because we're tracking. Our faith is in Jesus. It's not in the circumstances. In fact, if we could get to the place where we see the negative circumstances, we get more excited. That's when our belief is finding a new level of peace and a confidence in our believing God in our lives. Verse 49, the nobleman said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. There was something, there was like a key moment. Okay, first of all, remember he has a mindset. You ever had your mindset you want something done a certain way? And then if someone has a different idea, or maybe especially in your household, your wife, your husband has a different way you... Maybe at first there's like this odds. Well, this is the way I had it in mind we're going to do. But if you kind of settle back on it and rethink of doing it a different way, the end result is probably the most important thing. Well, something gripped that man's heart where he realized, wow, this is the guy who did the miracle. This is the guy I believe in. And now he's telling me, go, your son is healed. There's something that gripped that man's faith and gripped, gripped his heart to believe in what Jesus had just said to him, even though it was in his plan that Jesus should come up and go back to Capernaum with him. As he was now going, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Then inquired of them the hour when he had gotten better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. What miracle have you received from Jesus Christ that would ignite your faith to believe him for another? Is there something that you can now launch from in whatever you're facing in your life that you can dare to believe God would do for you? Uh, Debbie, I believe this launching platform for you and this healing you've just gone through is going to launch your faith into other areas. Matthew Henry wrote this, the greatest men, when they come to God, must become beggars. Wow, look at that nobleman. He dropped, he dropped from being a nobleman to being someone begging, begging for something. 
at Jesus' feet. I, I like to say humility always gets us a response from God. In James 4.10, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. We're going to uh, go into, verse, into uh, chapter 5 now. And our key verse today is John 5.6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Or do you want to be made whole? Not only was this man crippled, but Jesus was asking him beyond what he wanted at the moment. You know, a lot of times we, we're focused on one thing with God. This is what I need you to do. But Jesus, when he's addressing where our will is and where, where he wants to take us, he's asking if we want the whole package. You know, sometimes we settle for little things, and we know a lot of things by reading the Gospels that people settled for a healing, you know, uh, for one little thing here, one li little thing there. And then they kind of backed off and didn't follow Jesus. But Jesus was asking, do you want the whole package? Do you want everything I have for you? John um, chapter 5. Healing at the pool of Bethesda. I'm going to read the first four verses here. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda. And it means, it has two different meanings, house of mercy or house of sheep. And it's believed that um, this was pretty close to uh, like a temple or a place of worship. And this pool had five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. I feel like this is really the, probably the most important thing that we're talking about. Like Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? That the human will is probably one of the greatest things that we have to deal with. And if our will is engaged there is our faith, there's an excitement, there's an expectation, there's hope, irregardless of unchanged circumstances. And so I really believe, especially in our times where the enemy is working to shut our will down, to have us walking in discouragement and disappointment and hopelessness. Again, this man was in this condition 38 years. Can you imagine how the enemy had worked on him all these years? stealing his hope. Someone's always getting in in front of him, getting into the water before him. Can you imagine the frustration that, he, that was going on in his life? Again, we're going to read our key scripture. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? I think that we have to ask ourselves, is my will active? Or have I slipped, slipped into something that's just kind of like passive, where I'm just kind of letting things happen, I'm just kind of accepting everything that goes along? I think a lot of times that's what almost like uh, triggers us and we go into anger and rage sometimes because we put up with things such a long time. And, and, and different people have different personalities and temperaments too where you take it, you take it, you take it, you take it, and then all of a sudden, okay, no more. I'm not taking any more, and you just, boom, you blow up or whatever. And 
I, I think is, is, as we have to, like we just went through, you know, overcoming emotions that destroy, that we are working on trying to get a hold of, of those things in our life that, that we've suppressed, the anger, the different things. But it's an important thing to have our will begin to come into a place of freedom. Begin in a place where we make our decisions and we're considering God, but we, we have this freedom. It, you have a lot of freedom when you feel like your will is engaged and you're able to make the choices that, that you're making. And having God, you can deal with the disappointments and you can deal with the, maybe the times where he's, he's having you to wait or you're in a season of transition or, or you're in a season of waiting or you're in a season of just trying to find out what you want, you know, where your will is at. But I think if wherever we're at today, to be able to ask God, God, where is my will? Where, where am I at in this place? Jesus said this about the will in Matthew twenty six forty one: The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I, I really believe, you know, we've been talking about that part of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus said we're to pray every day, deliver us from evil. That again, it's those principalities and powers that we wrestle with that affect our thinking, that affect our hopes and our dreams, that affect our will. Oh, this is the way it happened. This is the way it was for my parents. This is the way it was for someone else. And so our will is automatically lied to because of the principalities and powers, because the thought presses that, that bombard our thinking and counter the word of God that comes into our minds, goes into our heart, but then we look at our circumstance and then we throw it all out. That's the warfare of the enemy, to steal our hope, to steal our will. But... It is what God wants us to have that freedom in. And part of our prayer of delivering us from evil, it's helping and asking God and the Holy Spirit to help us to recognize the places that we're believing the lies, the places that we're uh, leaning on something that's not true, the places where our emotions and feelings are uh, letting our will, again, be put into a place of inactivity. Again, that, that scripture I think is relevant for this time is Ephesians six twelve about we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And I was thinking about um, this too. This is kind of maybe a bit of a side note. I think a lot of times, I really believe people get bombarded in their families. I don't feel loved. Well, again, our feelings are being used. The enemy is taking advantage of our feelings. I don't feel loved or in the home. Uh, I don't feel like that person cares about me. Even in marriages. Oh, I don't think they, they, I love them anymore. Or I don't think, I don't feel that they love me. And the enemy uses our feelings. There's a spiritual attack on our marriages. There's a spiritual attack on our families. And it's those lies of the enemy that come to get us to act on those feelings. And, you know, feelings can come. I don't know about you, but I can have a good feeling one moment, and I can have a negative feeling the next moment. I can feel I'm feeling flying, flying high in my faith one moment and then feel like I'm in utter despair at the next moment, depending on what information or what news. And I just want you to really... Guard your, your feelings. Don't always act on your feelings and your impulses. Uh, those of you who are married, stay in your commitment. Those feelings are going to come and go. You are going to have the best marriages as you just stay in faithfulness, as you ask God to keep changing you, and as you keep praying against the attack that comes because the enemy, again, is trying to destroy your life, to trying to destroy your hopes. Maybe you've gone through uh, divorces or uh, different things that have happened, and you know what I'm talking about. Well, Right now, there's grace. There's forgiveness for whatever state we're in. But God wants you to be able to live in that freedom. God wants you to be able to take back your family and take back your future by beginning to war against what's trying to steal your will 
and steal the hope that you have in whatever place you find yourself right now and believe that God wants to bring healing to you. Um, e, I guess maybe you guys should come up. I can stop right here. Let's read John 5, 7 as they're coming. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I am coming, another one steps on before him. Again, we see a pattern. Remember, the woman was expecting water from the well. Um, Nicodemus was trying to figure out how he could go back into his mother's womb. This man was thinking, I need to get into that water, Jesus. I want to be healed, healed. but his only focus was getting into that water. And it's almost like we have to get our understanding that there are limited, limitless possibilities because of God. And it doesn't have to necessarily be our way. Will you stand? We're just going to go into a time of worship. And uh, if you have anything on your heart, give it to the Lord so you can go out and enjoy your weekend and have fun. And be thankful for this incredible uh, place that we live in and that we are a country that's blessed. And we are going to keep praying that it's going to be blessed.